You ever thought about you actually being a child of God? You know, we sing the songs, we mount the words, we, we talk about it, but you ever actually envision that day when you're going to sit down at the feet of Jesus and actually look at him face to face, eye to eye? That time when you enter into glory and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in now to the kingdom of rest. Now, what a day that's going to be. Where's kids? We should be shouting for joy. And it should come from the rooftops and out the car window and when you're in line at the grocery store, when you're purchasing fuel and wherever you go, the world should know Jesus. Amen? Father, tonight we just draw near. Lord, we want to come and, and sup with you. Lord, we know that you want that from us. God, should we just take this time now as we spend it in your word? Lord, looking for you to minister to us. Lord, at the deepest possible human level. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to sense you coursing through our veins. And may our very being be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Can we think differently tonight when we leave than when we came in would we know your abundant mercy God in our lives oh God how we need mercy in our lives and we thank you that your mercy is new every morning and so God impress upon us tonight by your spirit what you have come for us to hear we bless you we praise you, and the children of God all said, Amen. Amen. Yeah, time. You take your seats. Tonight we find ourselves again with the disciples, again with Jesus, again on the mount at the north edge of the Sea of Galilee. And again, with a continuing, compounding string of seemingly impossible things. As we begin tonight, and as I, I thought about this, as I was just going over my notes in the green room, I thought, how impossible is it for us to really understand the mercy of God. I think most of us get his, his grace fairly well. Most Christians understand God's grace, his, his unmerited favor. But for me, the far harder thing is his mercy. He's perfect. He's absolutely just. Everything he does... He does with not even a smidgen of gray in it. He, he doesn't see things the way we see them. He's perfect when he sees us in every situation in life. And so it says here in the seventh verse, adding to all that have proceeded before it here in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now there are several statements by the Lord in the Gospels. One pertains to forgiveness. Another one, again, pertains to mercy itself. This one to mercy. There are two more that seemingly uh, compound these things. That is graciousness is abounding to us as well. But when you think of the mercy of the Lord, he's looking over the multitudes. And in Matthew's gospel, a little further on in chapter 9, Jesus was seeing the multitude, and it says there in chapter 9 and in verse 36, he had compassion for them because, and we're given the reason, 
that they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And so the mercy of God flows out of the heart of compassion that Christ has for his people. The mercy of God flows out of the heart of compassion that the Lord Jesus has for his people, for his sheep. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm not asking you to confess your sin. But I think it's safe to say that if we were to go around the sanctuary and for people to holler out their last ten sins, they'd probably be fairly substantial, eh, Manny? You know, I, I just think I, we can pretty much guess on that one. We don't even have to hear it to know it's true. And yet, mercy is us not receiving, not receiving what we're actually due. Grace is us getting something that we don't deserve. But mercy is us not getting what we actually deserve. It's the bookend. It's the opposite side. It's viewed from the other position. And so he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We know that from Matthew's gospel, as he continues this saga, as we would travel on through this entire sermon, he said that Jesus was traveling throughout all of the region of the Galilee, and he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Can I tell you that there's mental disease? Can I tell you that there's emotional sickness? That people are broken, not just on the outside, but they're broken on the inside. And that sometimes the greatest thing that we lack is those internal things being tended to. And the Lord in his mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Because frankly, all of us deserve death. We deserve hell. We, we deserve his judgment. But he pours out elehos on us, that Greek word that is translated most of the time uh, mercy, but often even compassion. And it really means to feel great or deep sympathy. And there's a related word found in your Bible, and it's found uh, in the Hebrew version of that word, and it, it is splancha. And from it, it, it is the, if you have a King James Bible, it's that bowels of compassion. It's the bowels of, the mercy, of mercy. It, it's the interior, deepest, most seated place in your entire being. It's where you begin to feel things at such a deep level that it almost makes you nauseous and sick. You're, you're so overwhelmed by what someone else would be going through that you literally feel their their pain to the point that you take it upon yourself and you become nauseated. When Jesus was viewing the multitudes, he saw the multitudes and he looked at them and he was so overwhelmed with compassion that he said, all I can do, all I want to do, my whole heart's intent is to not give them what they deserve. Let's face it, a lot of times we see people and maybe they're wandering the streets and you all know them, you've passed by them. Maybe you're traveling down Sepulveda or you're down on Lomita at the end there by the place. There's so many homeless people that live there. And it's so, isn't it so easy in your heart and in your mind to begin to judge and look at those people and, and, and you, you think to yourself, well, no doubt, they, they've been living on drugs for most of their life, or no doubt, you know, they, they had problems when they were younger. Our natural inclination is to think they probably are like that because of something they've done. Mercy is not natural for human beings. And it was very much not natural in the world that these words were written in, in the Roman world. Judgment is natural to the human being. Matter of fact, very often we look at people and we almost have kind of a divine sense of karma. You know, it's like we, we look at them and, well, they're getting what they deserve. Of course they're like, sure, their marriage is falling apart. Yeah, of course they're in the hospital. I mean, after all, you know, they can't lay off of the, the booze or, you know, the alcohol 
got into their system when they were younger, and so now they live like that, and that's just what they, that's what they get for the way they live. We're like that as human beings. And we live in a day and time when kind of that winner-takes-all mentality pretty much is the rule of the day, isn't it? And that's why we flock to shows like Shark Tank and, you know, all those things where you're watching somebody just get beat to a pulp and you're almost rejoicing in the fact they're being humiliated. Can I tell you that most people don't watch boxing so much to see who wins as they do to see who loses and how badly? Let me give you another one. Who wants to watch people make left turns for two and a half hours? You're not watching NASCAR because you want to, wow, I'm making another left turn. You're waiting for somebody to crash and blow up a two and a half million dollar car. That's what you're actually waiting for. It's the only reason anybody watches NASCAR. If you're a NASCAR fan, I apologize. I know there's subtleties and drafting and you know, all those things. I get it. But most people are looking to see what disaster unfolds in other people's lives. Can I say to you that that is also the reason that people are prone to, get this, gossip. When was the last time you heard somebody giving nice gossip? Man, it's just so much walking with the Lord and you know, talking about somebody's life and how they're just you know, on fire for Christ. Most of the time it's, yeah, did you see him? I, yeah, I totally disrespected that guy over there. We're waiting for something very often to go wrong in somebody's life. And we look at those things and we see them from the eyes of flesh. We don't see them from the compassionate mercy of the Lord. And here's the real killer. We don't see it as if we ourselves were on the other side. And yet that is the most Christ-like position you can take. Have you ever thought about, man, except for God's mercy, except for God's grace, I would be just like that. You know, sometimes, when I was 17, 18 years old, I was homeless for a time. Lived in my car. And, and I, I, you know, I had that experience of whatever you could cook on a backpacking stove, that was, that was what I had. I know what that's like. I think some of us have a certain amount of information within our hearts and our minds that we can equate to people in those types of situations. But do you see it from their heart level? Do you see it from their desperation? Do you see it from their anguish of soul and from their pain? From the depths of what it actually means to be them. Jesus was in all ways and all manners as we are tested and yet without sin. He does know what it's like to think about it from your perspective perfectly. And that's why his compassion is so deep. That's why he gets to the the bottom of our hearts with this particular beatitude. We live in a world where people are treated like things and in that day and time, uh, even the Roman philosopher Cicero called mercy the disease of the soul. Because in the Roman world it was seen as a supreme sign of weakness. You weren't a real man. You didn't have what it takes to get along in life unless you could just crush somebody's soul and rend their spirit. And yet how many times in arguments in marriage do we almost take that same exact place? We go as far as we can to crush our spouse's spirit. We do the same thing at times to our children. We speak to them as if they have no soul and, and the, the object uh, of the point is simply to win. Let me give you the full frontal assault of everything I've got to just let you know, put you in your place. And Christ is saying, look, I want to turn over my power so much so that I'll deny the power that I myself have in order to benefit you. Can I tell you that that will solve virtually every argument that you will ever get into? When you take the position of meekness and humility, 
understanding that you yourself could be just like the person that you're arguing with, and you show them mercy. The divine law found there in Galatians chapter 6 of reaping what you sow will kick in. Because when you show mercy in someone's life, it has a tendency to come back to you as mercy. But when you show judgment in your life, it comes back to you as judgment. Matter of fact, this was so prevalent during that time that there was a, 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 a law in the Roman Empire. It was patria opetestis. And patria opetestis basically said of any father at any time, if he was, his wife was in the midst of bearing a child, that he could wait until the child took its first breath. And, and it was so strong that he didn't have to have mercy. He could just simply stand there, and if he wanted to keep the child, it was a thumbs up, and if he didn't, it was a thumbs down. And the baby was immediately drowned. I'd say to you, it's still alive in our world. We call it abortion. Innocent child. And again, the grief that this has brought into our life as a nation is, is palatable. You can touch it. You can feel it. Very few lives that haven't been affected by it. But it stems out of an attitude of not being merciful. During that day and time, the child had done nothing, simply been born into the wrong family. And Jesus begins to address this. Is really what they said then and what we often say now is, look, you don't take, out, take care of yourself, who's going to? Who's going to take care of you if you won't? And yet the Lord says, look, you're not here to take care of yourself, you're here to take care of others. We, we live in a day and time when, when the world is so egocentric, so narcissistic. And we just look at our own lives and it's like we're the only people on earth that matter. When in fact what Christ said was, actually if you put yourself last, then you're going to be first in my kingdom. If you'll serve others. But man, does that grate against our, our fallen nature in Adam. I don't know if it affects you the way it affects me. I have a tough time being merciful at times. I have a tough time thinking mercifully. And I know I'm saying that to you as to your pastor. But there are times when mercy is not the first thing in my thought process. Amen? You can say amen. Because it's not. I can, it, all you've got to do is go to Costco during Christmas season. You know what I'm saying? There's that stack of, you know, the, the $3 TVs or whatever. And people are trampled to death over a stupid piece of plastic and glass. A few microchips in there. It's because we're not merciful. We're looking after ourselves. Well, I want one of those. It's all about me. It's all about us. And so he says, blessed are the merciful. Webster's actually defines his goodwill towards miserable, afflicted people joined with a desire to relieve them. See, mercy is more than feelings. Mercy is also action. It's compassion in action. It's when you feel something so deeply that you are compelled to go do something to relieve that pain. And boy, do we need more of that in our world. Amen? I, I know I need to have more mercy that comes out of me. More desire to see somebody's condition and to in understanding their situation as best as I possibly can, say, you know what? Let me help you be unweighted from that burden. Not well. You know, you kind of deserve it. I mean, after all, look how you lived your life. It's compassion turned into action. It's the ability to say, as we often trivially do, but for the grace of God go I. Anybody else said that? But for the grace of God go I. But for the grace of God go I, brother, sister. But for God's grace, I could be just like that. But you see, if you stop at the feelings, you haven't grasped mercy. Because mercy doesn't stop at the feeling of, well, I could be like that too. Mercy steps past the feeling and goes right to the heart of the issue. The matter at hand which is to do something about that person's suffering. 
I have people all the time tell me, well, you know, I just want to, I want to get involved in missions. You know, I'd, I'd love to, maybe I could go to Fred Jordan or something. You know, I just, let me do something for the Lord. And you, and you talk to them about what they're going to have to do and what they're going to experience and how that's going to affect their life. And I say, well, you know, I really don't have time for that. Aren't you thankful that Christ has time for you? No matter what you've dipped yourself in in this world? We get pretty dirty sometimes, don't we? I mean, truly like sheep. I mean, we, we're pretty ripe at times. We've been out rolling around the mud in the pasture and we are coated with stuff. We're not, we're not the, the, the best fit for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the sense of His holiness standing next to our filth. And yet sometimes we draw the line of mercy at, well, I feel bad. I'm kind of sorry that, I, I, that you, you're in that situation. Jesus takes this to another level when He says, using the, this wonderful word, and the Hebrew word actually for mercy is, is really hesed. And it's the ability to get right inside of another person's skin until you can see things with their eyes, until you can feel things with their feelings, until you can experience things with their hands so that you have been exactly where they are. That's a very different perspective, isn't it? Than just your emotions. Because see, then it's touched you then that pain that they've experienced, that difficulty they're going through, that compassion that you have partway becomes all the way because it has literally touched you the way it's touched them. You lose sleep over your brothers and sisters. You can't stop thinking about what's going on in the lives of your kids. You know, every once in a while we look at our kids and it's just like, look, I, I've told you this like 645 times. I mean, now it's time for you to just work it out, and you start to lose compassion. And preaching, well, you know, you just need to go out and find it out for yourself. Please don't do that to your children. Go the extra mile with them. Walk with them until you can't go any further, until it's impossible for you to take another step. Because they need to know the mercy of God in your life. They need to see it in action. Sometimes we get fed up. Can I say this to you, that mercy is actually a lifestyle? Mercy is a lifestyle. Mercy is a lifestyle. And we've got to get this as Christians, because I think it's really key to our understanding of, the, of the, the real heart of God towards us. We show mercy by engaging in habitual merciful deeds. We show mercy by engaging in habitual, merciful deeds. That means when somebody blows it, we're right down in the trenches with them. You know, a lot of the pastors will, will be talking and, and will actually, you know, point out things that are just repetitious in ministry. As you can imagine, in a large church, there's a lot of things that are pretty much the same problem over and over and over and over and over. And I mean over and over and over again. Some marriage things, it's just like we're going to print flyers and just pass them out on Sunday morning. Here, read this. That's not mercy. Because it takes the compassion out of it. It takes the tenderness out of it. It takes the getting down to the nitty-gritty out of it. It takes the heartbrokenness and the tears and the pain and the crying and it jerks all of that out. It says, here's a brochure, read this and get back to me. It's what a doctor does when you pay him. Amen? Here, take two of these, call me next week. Not that all doctors act that way, by the way, but some do. You walk in, and they say, well, I can see you, and, and what do you get? You know how it is. You get two and a half minutes with the doctor, you get another five minutes with a physician's assistant, and it's the poor nurses that do most of the work. Then they tell you, well, we really don't know what's wrong with you. That's why they call it practicing medicine. 
We're just practicing, and one day we're going to get that right. But right now, the fact that you're coughing up a lung, I've got to see somebody else. You know how that makes you feel, right? Isn't that how we are spiritually sometimes? It's like nobody cares. If I died today, I can't tell you how many people I have had actually come into my office and sit down with me and be talking, and they will say something to the effect like, I feel like if I were to die today, no one would even notice. And I believe that is largely due to the lack of compassion that is in the, is in the world and even at times in the church. In the context of this text, basically God is saying, be merciful because I'm merciful. Be merciful because that's my heart towards people. And it is a self-acting law. God has shown us mercy as guilty sinners. Amen? He did not give us what we deserve. it, It makes me snicker every time I think about it. If I had been God in the Garden of Eden, I'm just making two new people. That's it. Problem solved. And I'll keep making two new people until they get it right. You guys all think the same thing. Don't laugh. Seriously, we do, right? Isn't that how you would have solved it? Because we don't like problems. We don't want to deal with other people's stuff. That's your stuff. You got yourself into that position. You get yourself out of it. We even tell our kids that sometimes. Look, this is just consequences of your action. Can I tell you that God is not so much concerned with the consequences of your action as he is with your heart after you get done paying the price for the consequences of your action? He cares about your heart when it's all over. He cares about your life when it's said and done. And you see, sometimes we don't take it quite that far. We kind of stop by identifying the problem. We call that being Captain Obvious, right? Well, yeah, of course I'm laying in the gutter because I'm a drunk. Duh. They don't really need to have that identified. What they need is a solution. They need compassion. They need mercy. And that mercy has to be active mercy. God has the power to deal with sin as righteousness, doesn't he? You ever thought about that? God can do anything he wants. And yet he chooses to show us mercy. He doesn't give us what we've deserved. Because, I mean, if anybody deserves a beat down, it's us. Amen? I mean, think about it. Most of the things in your life, if we're really honest with each other and with ourselves, most of the things that we go through in life, we can look back and see that we at least had some kind of a part in it. We were not totally innocent. And yet, at times, we actually think like somehow we deserve so much better. I've sat down with people and and just had them tell me until there's no words left in the English language or any other language that I'm semi-fluent in. Look, you know, I'm just not going to forgive that person. I don't care what you say. I'm going to keep my anger. I'm going to keep my bitterness. I'm going to keep my hate. I am going to keep all the stuff, and I'm just going to keep it. It's mine. I deserve to keep this. And then they wonder why their life begins to implode because they're being rotted out from the inside by the very things that God wants to take away from us because in his mercy he knows that those things are bad for us. We didn't pay our own price for our sin. You remember the words of Jesus there in Luke 23. What did he say from the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. He didn't say, Father, you know. Could you wipe out the first 40 rows of people near the cross? Because they're all here for the wrong reason. He didn't say, you know, the Roman, forgive everybody but the Roman guards. Forgive everybody except, and then he just starts mouthing a list of everyone who'd ever said a mean thing about Jesus. He said, Father, forgive them all of mankind, all of humankind, because they, all of mankind, all of humankind, collectively do not even know what they're doing. They're so messed up in their head, they're so out there, 
that they don't even realize that they're crucifying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So how can we, how can we, then turn around to our brothers and sisters in Christ or people in need and be anything other than merciful to them? Does that strike you as a little odd? Because it strikes me as a little odd. When I put myself in that position, I begin to feel the, the weight of those feelings. I put myself in the position, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, amen? You know it. A rabbi and a Levite are traveling down the road. And no doubt, you know what they were thinking. They were legalists. You know what they were thinking. They're looking at this guy who's now been beat to a bloody mess by the robbers and go, well, he picked the wrong road. You know, he was wearing the, he was wearing the wrong colors. He should have picked another neighborhood to walk through. You know, everybody knows you don't go down that street in Jericho. I mean, come on. Guy ah, was probably stoned out of his mind anyway. That's how he got in this position. You should have seen the guy last week. He was totally disrespecting the Levites, and so they sent a crew out to deal with him. We think those things, don't we? We look at that guy, and instead of having compassion, instead of having mercy, we do exactly what the priest and the Levite did. It's not on me, it's on him. I'm going the other way. Do you remember who it was? It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember who it was that came to the rescue? It was a guy who knew what it was like to be hated. Who knew what it was like to grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. The wrong side of the freeway. Somebody who knew what it was like to get a beat down for most of their life. That's who came to the rescue. That Samaritan man. The, the, the Samaritan people were half Jewish and half Assyrian. It, it was the worst combination possible in the eyes of both. They were hated by the Gentiles because there was, they were half Jewish. And they were hated by the Jews because they were half Assyrian. And so here, they, nobody liked them. And yet when you're in that kind of crowd, when you're surrounded by legalists, and the legalists say, look, you're not clean, you're not pure, you're not good enough, you got yourself into this mess, and the legalist walks by, and the broken person says, look, I can't leave this guy here like this. Because I know what it's like to be hated. I know what it's like to not be cared about. And I would never want that for anybody else. And by the time he gets him into town, and he speaks to the businessman after he goes on his journey. He says, you take care of him. And whatever you spend, I will repay you when I return. That's the heart of Christ, isn't it? Is that not what the Lord's done for each one of us? Because even after we get saved, we're not exactly perfect, are we? There's still issues in our lives that the Lord undoubtedly looks on and says, yeah, it's probably not for me. That's more than likely your flesh. And so that Samaritan man showed mercy on him. Jesus, recounting that story, asked actually the question, which of these three, the, the Samaritan, the Levite, or the priest, which of these three do you think provided the neighbor with what he needed? You see, because when somebody's in need, what they don't need is a tongue lashing. When, when somebody's in need, they generally don't need to have their faults pointed out. We need to tell them the truth because you don't want them to think that what they did is okay and somehow it's just misfortune. But you do absolutely have to recognize that, wow, I may have not done that, but I've done other things. 
and those other things would have put me in the same position. I just happen to have had the good fortune to not be there. We need to have that readiness. And Jesus equates the same basic principle in forgiveness there in Matthew chapter 18, doesn't he? He said, unless you forgive your brother who sins against you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. It's the same thing. It's the character of our Savior that's at stake here. And the character of our Savior is 100% of the time he's merciful. 100% of the time he's forgiving. 100% of the time he's gracious. 100% of the time he's kind. 100% of the time he's loving. That's our standard. And so Jesus says, be merciful. I'm merciful. Show other people what I'm like by being merciful to them. We really do get back in that sense what we give out. Amen? You ever noticed how when you're kind and merciful and gentle with people, how it almost always returns to you as kind, gentleness, and mercy? But if you're angry and bitter and hateful and spiteful and mean-spirited towards them, it has a tendency to bring the same thing back to you. Galatians 6 tells us that that, it's that moral law of Scripture, moral law of the Lord of of reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Whatever you have reaped, you can look back to what you sown and say, hmm, there's a direct correlation here. You see, the opposite of mercy would be open hostility, wouldn't it? You see, the opposite of mercy is open hostility. It's a critical spirit, a critical attitude. It's being stingy. It's being unforgiving. It's being sour on life. It's being condemning. It's being judging. It's being critical and selfish and greedy and fault-finding and castigating and absolutely behavior that tells that person they have no value. That is the opposite of mercy. And so the Lord says, why don't we be merciful? Because I've been merciful to you. And when you live like that, people know what to expect. I've had a few people in my life that just, they, they've been with me through thick and thin, and I can always count on them to be merciful. Because they know my weaknesses. God knows your weaknesses, and God knows my weaknesses. And we have to assume then that other people also have weaknesses and not everything is done from some motivational desire to see you in pain or suffering or going through weird stuff in your life and them not caring. That's not actually it at all. It's that people, for the most part, are all going through stuff. Amen? Most everybody I know is going through something. it's almost amazing to me when you sit down, you stop long enough to not judge somebody and you actually talk to them and you find out there really is a reason why they're like that. And so instead of being judging and condemning, you go, oh man, that's just so sorry. Can I help with that? And then you actually do something about it. It's a cute little story. It's actually true. happened after the Korean War on July 27th when the, when the peace treaty was signed that assigned the 38th parallel as the boundary between North and South Korea. Of course, the communists moved to the North and uh, the free peoples of South Korea moved South and, and there were, still are 58,000 or so U.S. troops stationed in South Korea as a protective force along the 38th parallel. But uh, right after that conflict ended, there was a group of American soldiers that were holed up in South Korea and they were there Um, basically kind of keeping watch over the area that had been hard fought and won during the Korean War. Some 50,000 lives lost during that uh, conflict that really still has not been ended yet. It's still an ongoing uh, area of conflict in the world. They had a young man who was basically their servant, their houseboy in their house. And every day because he had come from North Korea and he was a communist. He was now in South Korea, which was free. They treated him terribly. 
And so every day there'd be a bucket of water on top of the door. They'd put grease on the doorknobs and make them slippery. They'd do all that dumb stuff. They'd dump dirt on the floor and have them clean it up. And finally, a couple of the guys just got, they got to where they couldn't live with themselves anymore. I said, you know, we need to talk to them. So let's, let's go talk to them and, and tell them we won't do this anymore. And so after they apologized, he wanted them to explain exactly what it is that they meant by the apology. He said, no more water on top of the door? They said, no more water on top of the door. No more grease on the knobs? No more grease on the knobs. No more dirt on the floor? No more dirt on the floor. He said, that's good. No more spit in your soup. (laughs) You get back what you give, amen? You know, when you're not merciful to other people, they have a tendency to not be merciful to you. And you kind of, well, you know, how did I get in this position? Because we, we put off that vibe. We, we let other people know, hey, I'm not a merciful person. You see, something we often forget is that our attitudes are contagious. I don't know how many of you have dogs, and I don't know how many of you who have dogs have Labradors, but my dogs can tell when something's wrong with me. When I'm having a bad day, they're like, they look at me like they have this, their face, their ears are straight down, their eyes are sad, and whatever I'm putting off, they can kind of pick up on. I wish that sometimes we had the spiritual discernment to do that for people, that we could actually look at our brothers and sisters in the Lord, especially people that we know in our lives, and look at them and actually be in tune with what's going on in their life. So much so that when they see it, and what my dogs, it's the funniest thing in the world. They have this toy box, it's about this big, and it has, it's got like the rattiest, junkiest stuff in it. It's like old toys that have been shredded into, they don't even look like toys, they're just a, it's a box of rags. And old, the dirtier the tennis ball, the better. And so when I'm feeling like that, and they can tell, they will go one at a time, I have two of them, and they'll go in, they'll get one ball, and they'll bring it back and put it on my feet. And then they'll go back, and they'll get the half of the old dead skunk. They'll bring that, put it at my feet. Then they'll go back and get the fish, and they'll put that at my feet. And they'll go get another tennis ball, and then their chewy bones. Until I've got like 47,000 things around my feet, because they're trying to make me happy. How great would our world be if when we saw somebody who was sad and downcast, we kept going back to the toy box and brought them everything we can possibly think of until it put a smile on their face. We can do that as the body of Christ. We really can. We have the ability to show compassionate care for people in such a way that they know that God loves them and they know that we care and we're willing to take action to do it. We'll keep going back and forth until there's nothing left to do. And so this beatitude is a self-perpetuating law. Jesus, when he was speaking about the subject of your enemies, because we have people that don't like us, amen? I have people who don't like me. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. (laughs) We're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to do good to people who hate us. Do good to people who hate us. How much more so to people that we're supposed to actually like? Should we be doing good? We're supposed to bless those who curse us, aren't we? Aren't we supposed to pray for those who mistreat us? We're not to retaliate against people who do bad things to us. We're to give freely. In other words, if if they come and they ask you of your garment, give them your cloak as well. You get the picture? We're supposed to be the opposite of the world. And when you're like that, you're like your Heavenly Father. You're like the Lord Jesus. And it's a gift to be like that. And it's a gift that we need to share with the world. Because the world really lacks mercy. The same principle is applied by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with regard to to stewardship, to giving. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And if you want to reap bountifully, you need to sow bountifully. It's the same basic principle in another area of life, another area of worship. 
body of Christ shouldn't be stingy with mercy. So how do we apply it? I'm going to have some of the pastors come up, prayer team come up, because I think it's one of those things that probably some of you in here really need help for because you're, you're in a, a, a marriage that's a mess. And you've stopped being merciful. You, you've started to retaliate. You've started speaking harsh words in response to harsh words. Maybe you're in an employment situation and, and you're just feeling like you've been taken advantage of for years. And so now you think it's your right to take whatever's necessary from your employer. Maybe it's a broken area of your life with your kids where you used to be merciful, but you're not merciful anymore, and so now you're giving them what they really deserve because they've been knuckleheads. We need more mercy. We should be willing to give more mercy. You see, as we add all these things together, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I want God's kingdom in my life. I need to be merciful in order to be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. I need to see my sin the way God sees my sin. I need to be merciful because he surely does not treat me the way he could treat me. Blessed are the meek. God's got all the power in the world, and yet he doesn't exercise it. When I fail, he doesn't unload the shotgun of his justice on me. He says, nah, I'm going to withhold that. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We need more mercy in our lives to carry that out. So we're going to have an opportunity to pray for mercy or anything else that you're lacking with those five things. God's got to be at work in us for us to be effective family. If the Lord's at work in us, then he's going to change us first. Isn't that the weirdest thing about our relationship with the Lord? Whatever he requires for us to do for other people, he first does in our lives by way of example. In other words, where, where you have things that you're dealing with, the Lord's saying, look, I'm dealing with you in that so that when you deal with other people, you'll be right in the way you think about it. You'll be right in the way you implement those, those practices. Some of the most judgmental people that I've ever met have been very religious legalists. They can quote you chapter and verse on almost any type of sin issue. They'll point you right to it, tell you exactly how to, you know, make sure that you can identify the problem. Like, here's the manual right here on page three. You are going to hell, brother. I said, well, I knew that. They forget to tell you about the love of God. I forget to tell you about his mercy. That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For his mercies indeed are new every morning. You can't do that kind of loving. You can't do that kind of living in your own power. It's just not in us. It's got to be God's way. And just like with grace, by its very definition, mercy can't be earned. You can't earn the mercy of God. You can do everything to mess it up, but you can't earn it. That's why Paul was actually talking about the area of sin when he said, what then, should we go on sinning that grace might abound? You could put mercy in that same sentence. What then, should we go on sinning that mercy should abound? You know, God could just continually not give us what we deserve. It would just be this magnifying lens of exactly how great that, the, the truth of it is. That is exactly how it works out in our lives. Because there should come a point in time when God says, ah, that's it. I'm just done. Done with him. Done with Jeff. He's gotten all the mercy he's going to get. I had a bucket. He finally drained it. It's out. It's empty. And so I'm going to give him exactly what he deserves. Are you not overjoyed and thrilled that the Lord has no such place? 
that indeed His mercies are new every morning, that they abound. He is slow to anger. Psalm 18 says, to the merciful, He will show yourself mercy. And with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. See, the opposite's true as well. When you mess with God, very often he allows things into your life that you won't like. So worship team's going to come back up. We're going to have the guys come down. And maybe you need some more mercy in your life. All you need to do is ask. He's got unlimited amounts of it. And he wants us to be like him. So you're asking from the Lord something that he has a desire to give you. Maybe you've got a rough relationship that you're in right now. And you need more mercy. God wants to give you that. We're going to spend some time worshiping. Guys will be available for prayer. The prayer team will be available for prayer. If that's you, don't take your bitterness home. Don't take your anger home. Don't take that wretchedness of soul home with you. Maybe you came with it. Maybe tonight you got here and you're even planning to go home and dump some unmercifulness on somebody. God wants to heal you of that right here, right now, tonight. If you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I guarantee you mercy will be in very short supply in your life. Because the source of mercy is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The great I am. Come and be prayed for. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, set you on that course of experiencing his mercy and his grace. He loves us. Feel free to stand. Feel free to kneel. Feel free to do business with God right where you're at. If that's what the Lord puts on your heart. Feel free to come. We have ladies that are available that you can pray with. Maybe there's something that's on your heart you've never been able to share with anybody and you've been carrying it around and you've been using it as a weapon. In Jesus' name, give it to God. Leave it here. Let it go. He wants to set you free.